For the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Progressive Spirit. ProgressiveSpirit.net, I'm John Schock. The Clergy Project is an online group for clergy, many who are active in the ministry, who don't believe in the doctrines of their church. Today, I speak with Carter Warden. For years, he lived with the burden of no longer believing, still in ministry, and with no one to confide. He's one of the founding members of the Clergy Project and came out last year as an atheist at the Freedom From Religion Foundation's annual meeting. Carter lives in Johnson City, Tennessee, and now has a secular job. He tells us his story. Welcome, Carter, to Progressive Spirit. Thanks, John. I haven't spoken with you in quite a while, but it's great to be on your show. I think the last time we had uh, coffee, uh, you were still uh, Adam Mann. That's true. Yes, that was uh, in Johnson City and probably in 2013, I guess. I think so. So you uh, came out um, at the Freedom From Religion uh, Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, that was uh, uh, quite an experience. Uh, It was a wonderful experience uh, to be able to to be open and, and honest and authentic uh, about what I really believed. Of course, it was a great convention, and it was actually the first time I had ever met um, several people that I had been working with uh, since 2011 on the clergy project, such as uh, uh, Dan Barker, obviously, uh, from the Freedom From Religion Foundation co-president, uh, Daniel Dennett, uh, finally got to meet him in person, and um, Several other people I'd heard about uh, who were speakers there, uh, and then I got to meet with Linda Lascola again, who I'd not met since 2008, or 2009, I believe, when she did the initial interview for the Dennett Lascola, that pilot study back when they barely found five of us that were willing to talk, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's go back now then and talk about that. So in, in 2009, you met with Linda Lascola, who's a researcher, and Daniel Dennett, preachers who are not believers. They came out with this study. Can you describe that study and how you were a part of yeah. it? Yeah, it just, I was, I guess, just happened to be in the right place and made the right phone call at the right time. Uh, I had uh, basically, it had been about nine, 10, 11 months since I had really stopped believing in God and still in ministry. And, of course, I did a lot of study, a lot of reading. One of the books I read was Dan Barker's book um, called Godless. And, um, of course, he had been a former pastor, and so I could really identify with that. So I got done with that book, and then I remember it was the it was after Easter Sunday in 2009, and I just, you know, forced myself through that service. And I called him the next day, um, looked his number up, and, and he actually answered the phone, or someone got in for me, and we spoke for a long time. It was wonderful. But he said, you know, I need to pass your name along to someone I know who's who wants to speak with some people who are still closeted clergy members who don't believe in God. And, and so that's how it started. Um, so I got an email from Linda Lascola um, shortly after that, and we began corresponding. And, of course, as we found out, which is normal, um, I was very, very— you know, worried about being found out. And so we signed agreements and papers and, and all things, you know, promising uh, confidentiality. And, and, uh, and I must say they definitely did that uh, and do that uh, very well. But so Linda said, we'd like to, we'd like to talk to five or six different uh, pastors who are no longer believers, uh, but are still working in the clergy. Um, And so we set up a time and 
she actually drove down from Washington D.C. and I drove up and met her in Abington, I think, in Virginia, and, and did some interviews. and And then she did she did that with about four other pastors, and so she had they had five different people across all spectrums, from very conservative to to liberal. Um, and that's how that study started. And then once they published it by Tufts University, that's when the momentum started picking up and more people finding out about it. And then, um, then that's how the initial foundations of the clergy project coming into existence happened was, you know, it seems like, uh, there's, there's a lot of people out there, uh, in this situation and they would love to have a community. And so that's, uh, kind of how it started. And this is really an online support group for clergy who no longer believe in the doctrines of their church. I think that's a sp- specific phrase there. I'm a member of the Clergy Project, too, for full disclosure. Those uh, who no longer believe in the supernatural. Is that, right. is that the phrase? That, that is correct. It's something we, we didn't want to, to make it so restrictive, um, but uh, basically it's kind of like you said at the beginning, people who Clergy, you don't believe what people think clergy should believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you, know, you but, mentioned yeah. uh, Easter Sunday, uh, a tough Sunday, especially when uh, a lot of the dogma about it is that this body literally rose from the grave. Now, liberals mm-hmm. can, you know, yeah, well, that's a metaphor. It's a story. We, we, we celebrate the meaning of it or whatever. But in your tradition specifically, no, I'm, and, and most traditions, uh, I would say right. within my denomination as a whole, uh, the official doctrine is that, even though many of us clergy don't believe it and are quite open about it, but many are closed. So that's kind of a, a, a big challenge, but especially in the in the church. Can you say what church you served in? Well, I was in the Christian Church, Church of Christ. And so uh, in your church, uh, the beliefs are pretty solid, right, in terms of oh, yeah. a literal? Yeah, very literal. And, and in, then, yeah, on certain uh, particular things, you know, like resurrection. I mean, your your key foundations of of your faith. Um, but then, the more the more fundamental you are, the more literal interpretation you really are forced to accept throughout all scripture. You know, going back to one of the big you know contentious items is the uh, uh, creation and or the you know story of stories of creation, multiple stories, or uh, the flood, and you know, but. You have to take a literal interpretation of that, and if you don't, you're not believing everything that God wants you to believe. And um, and at one time, you know, I I did believe all that, and uh, but so what happened? Slowly so drifted how, from there. How, yeah. how how did your uh, beliefs begin to change? And and you've been well, in the clergy for you said twenty years or more. Yeah, at at, at that point, I'd I'd been in for about twenty years. I was. I was in the clergy for a little over 25 years altogether before I could get out, uh-huh. <laughs> find a way to get out. It's really funny because the way it started in 2008, I remember it was the summer, uh, I would host a home Bible study. We would rotate different places, and we had several of them through the church, but I actually led one of them. And we're always looking for new material to study, and another pastor had mentioned this book um, called Unchristian. Um, and it was basically they'd interviewed all these 19 to 26-year-olds that were not believers and said, well, what do you find wrong with the church? Why do you not believe? And the findings were that the churches, that they're talking about people are hypocritical. Uh, you know, they're too politically minded. Uh, they're too uh, driven on changing other people in decision, uh, evangelistic, too evangelistic minded, things like that. But the thing that caught my attention was that they are too sheltered. In other words, they are not willing to even read 
or talk about, you know, possibly controversial issues where other people don't believe, for example, creation or whatever. And so in my mind, I was thinking, you know what, that that's probably true. I said, if I, and the whole reason we were studying the book so that we could witness to non-believers better. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, if a non-believer wanted to even strike up a conversation with me about uh, evolution, I would be clueless because I'd always been taught it was bad, it was evil, don't even go there, don't even research it. And that's just one example. And uh, and so I thought, you know what, I need to do some study on my own. And so I was really trying to learn more and more so I could be a better witness. And uh, so basically I stepped out of my comfort zone, out of my little box, and started reading anything and everything. I went back and spoke with about four different seminary professors who I'd either had years before or were now in seminary, and I felt I felt I could openly discuss things and be honest with them. Uh, I was surprised to find out that most of the seminary professors did not have a literal interpretation of many things. Uh, and they said, well, it's okay, but it was, was kind of like they would say that among the other clergy or pastors, but I think most of them some of them i know when they were preaching to their congregation they were they were appearing more literal does that make sense yep um and so i just kind of saw that discrepancy and and then of course with everything else i mean i did all kinds of study um on biblical criticism and um so yeah so after really intense study for probably nine ten eleven months uh, i just realized you know what i just don't believe it anymore and and that's a hard, that's a pretty quick transition for somebody who's been in fundamental full-time ministry uh, within a period of about nine months going from being a concrete, solid believer who you didn't think anything would shake your faith to being an atheist, basically. If you're just joining us on uh, Progressive Spirit, I'm speaking with Carter Warden, uh, former minister in the uh, Church of Christ, uh, now is an atheist and for a long time a minister uh on a, an atheist undercover, so to speak. What is that like as you are ministering to your congregation? And uh, are, was there anybody there that you can confide in? No, there. I didn't feel like there was anyone there that I could could. I didn't want to put them in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I will say it's just, uh, you know, it's such a difficult uh, position to be in. Uh, thankfully. I was not the preaching pastor, and so I did not have to get up every Sunday and you know put together a talk to build people's faith um, because I did music mostly. Um, but you're up and you're leading, and you're having to lead congregational prayers and doing scripture readings, and uh, and but and we you know of course all the songs and you're theming that along with the pastor's message, and um, you know I, I literally saw it as a job, and it was like. Uh, when I thought, you know, what I've got to, I've got to find a way out. How do I do that? Um, you know, there's sometimes I was just so tempted to just get up one Sunday and just say, hey, guess what? You know, I don't believe anymore and turn in my resignation. But then you say, what am I going to do the next day? I've got a family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, at that time I had two teenagers um, and a wife and um, in this, you know, tough situation. So, I basically just looked at it as a theatrical role, a performance, literally. Um, and, of course, there's, there's a little more freedom when you're talking about music because songs can mean different things to different people, and it, it doesn't mean it's very literal all the time because of the 
uh, just the you know the freedom uh, of what it can mean, and so that helped a little bit. But still, um, you know, I mean, you still have people come to you and they ask for prayer, and and you know, and I and I never um, was disrespectful to anybody uh, by doing that, and I would, you know, do what I needed to do to fulfill my job, but but from that early probably in uh, that was started in 2009 and then by 2011 2012 I mean I had I put resumes in secretly <laughs> lots of different places looked around thought about going back to school um, and um, and that's when we realized the importance of and hearing stories of other pastors by this time the clergy project we had gotten it going and so we were on this private forum where we could share our experiences and we can identify with each other in, uh, you know, just that there is a pain, um, you know, not being able to be honest and authentic with people that you care about. And a lot of times just the horror stories of financial mm-hmm. woe of these other pastors who just couldn't take it anymore. And they just, you know, told their people and they were cut off from the jobs immediately. Some of them lost their pensions. I mean, it was just, you know, terrible. And, um, and so that kept me going. I thought, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that to my family, no matter how hard it is for me internally. And it was hard um, to keep up that that facade. But um, but eventually, you know, started looking, and uh, we actually started a uh, uh, the clergy project uh, through a, a very generous uh, Todd Stiefel Foundation gave a grant where we had a uh, a uh, employment firm or basically uh, coaches, uh, job coaches, uh, start work with people and work with clergy, help them redo their resumes, look for the translatable jobs into the secular world that, you know, with their experiences they had. And, and eventually, you know, several people have found their way out. And uh, and, and like me, I was, I was pretty careful about it and tried to think way ahead. And so I knew that the university would probably be a good place where eventually I could be honest with people because they respected, you know, all diversity and uh, inclusion. And um, so, yeah, it worked out. It took a long time, but it eventually. <laughs> and, and you work it, now at uh, at East Tennessee State University yes. in Johnson mm-hmm. City, Tennessee. Yeah. Now, uh, a couple of questions that I have with this. Uh, one is, what was it like uh, personally for you as you are moving away from belief in God uh, and God is changing? I- I'm assuming before that God was uh, a personal kind of relationship. You'd pray and, and whatnot. And then when that starts to change, what, 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 what did that feel like to see your faith um, start to change? Yeah, it's it's such a such a weird place because you know I don't know that you can ever pinpoint that exact moment where where you switch from where you lose your faith and and really re- start relying on a, on reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I in my in my talk at the Freedom from Religion Foundation, I, I did say that you know when, when I explain it, I try to be pretty careful and say that you know I, I didn't lose my faith as if it were something. You know that I just couldn't hold on to, but wanted to. But you know, I just I replaced it with reason, and I found uh-huh. reason to be so much more <laughs> more meaningful uh, and and truthful to me. So, um, but yeah, during that during those few months, you know, reading and studying, and it's like, oh wow, 
I have been spending the last 20 years on something that I thought was one thing and I really don't, I don't think it is. And, uh, and it's hard. And I, I've seen different people, I've uh, quoted different people. They said, you know, there's really no, um, there's no good way to tell someone that they've, you know, not wasted their life, but, but they have been believing in a fallacy or something like that. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I try to, I try to take that with me even now. And, and one of my things that, uh, I think I've come to realize is that, you know, I, I tell people you, you've got to be true to yourself eventually. Um, but then you also, I mean, if you're going to live in this world, you have to respect other people's opinions and beliefs. And, um, uh, and that, that's kind of easy for me because of where I work now. Because you know that's what we do. We 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 try to encourage discussion and and challenge people's beliefs and and see that there are multiple ways of looking at things. Um, but I guess um, back to your question, you know what it's like. It's uh, you know the, there were weeks, maybe a couple of months, where you're just in continual torture of yourself and. Um, I remember I shared on uh, an interview I did with a voice change and everything with a Canadian broadcasting company and and uh, where I had actually, while well, still holding on to a little bit, you know, of, of a God being there and hearing. And I remember going out into a thunderstorm and I took an umbrella with me with a metal tip on it and I was lightning outside and I went outside and opened the umbrella and held it up and I said, all right, God, you know, while I still believe in you, you know, if if everything's true, I used to believe. If there's a hell for those that don't believe, why don't you take my life right now while I still barely believe? You know, and I look back at that now, and that that must have been pretty comical. Show me something. You know, do something. Religion is like a main part of society in yeah, the southeast in Appalachia. In fact, yeah, in fact, I think in 2015, the it's not Barner Research Group, but some group. Uh, they did a whole poll of all the United States, and the Tri-Cities, Tennessee, was ranked third in the whole nation for, I think they called it Bible-mindedness. And what that meant was uh, it was second to only somewhere in Alabama, and then Chattanooga, Tennessee, was second, and Tri-Cities was third. But um, it meant it had the most people per capita who read the Bible on a regular basis and I think held a literal interpretation of it. You know, when you talk about generations and generations of indoctrination and social oh, yeah. pressure, I mean, that's yeah. tough to come out of that. See, my own daughter, for example, just in the last month, she told me, she goes, Dad, you know, when I was like in the third grade, she's, and she, we had to homeschool her for a little while because she got, well, there's a couple of reasons, but one reason was she was so worried that she's going to mess up and go to hell that it, just mess with her really bad. And I never really put all that together. And it just made me so mad that, you know, and then, and then of course, as I was kind of coming out to them, I would share stories and, you know, like Abraham sacrificing Isaac. She came, she was like 12 and came home from Sunday school one day. She's like, why is this a good story? You know, Hmm. (laughs) she's like, why, you know? And so she's, I said, you know, I remember literally that day I said, I'll tell you what I said, I said, I can't tell you right now what I really, really believe about that, but I said I will pretty soon. What about your wife? Uh, were you able to share your doubts with her? Well, yeah, 
I didn't share with her for a couple of years because I was sorting things out and, you know, making sure that I knew exactly what I believed, didn't believe. And, and then the job thing, I didn't want to stress her. I didn't want her to worry about me, you know, trying to find another job, changing careers completely. And eventually I did share with her and, and, uh, even, even now, I mean, she's a very strong, uh, fundamental, fundamentalist, conservative Christian. And, uh, and basically we, have agreed to disagree on that. Um, it is, it is still causes stress, and um, but it's something that you know we've learned to deal with thus far. So, yeah. And you just still have a relationship at all with the people in uh, in that church? Yeah, uh, it, it's odd when it, when I went to the Freedom from Religion con- uh, convention and, and came out. Um, I was planning on coming home. Of course, only my my immediate family knew that I was going to that. Um, not even my my mother or or anyone else outside of wife and children. Um, but uh, when I came back, I was planning on you know talking to a few people and maybe writing a long letter and send it to certain people and do things gradually. And then um, probably a couple weeks after I got back, the Freedom from Religion Foundation had posted the videos, which which I knew they were going to do. But, you know, I didn't think there would be a lot of people in this area that would, you know, look for that kind of stuff. But uh, evidently a press release got picked up by the Johnson City Press. And lo and behold, a whole article came out um, without me knowing about it. Um, but they, the writer actually went to my old church and spoke to some people there. You know, what do you think about this? And of course, they were totally flabbergasted because they had no idea. But they had a very, very nice response. Um and basically, um, the pastor there, who, who's been a friend of mine for 25, 30 years in ministry, um, said, you know, um, you know, we love Carter and we love his family. And um, we, you know, obviously don't agree with with his what he believes, but we still love him. And so it was a very positive article that came out of the paper, but it still shocked a lot of people. Um as a matter of fact, some of my immediate family did not hear it from me first. They heard it in the paper oh, <laughs> or ouch, saw it in yeah. the paper. So that that was a little traumatic and a little stressful for for about for about a month. Um, and I still, you know, I would get phone calls and letters and emails. Um, you have bonds that just can't dissolve immediately or shouldn't. And and I found that to be true. I've already I've gone out to dinner with a couple people just in the last month or two around around the holidays and i'd get a text or a call and say hey let's get together and eat and or let's do this you know um go to this event together and uh and with pretty much every one of them i've been able to talk and say you know we we, we just agreed to, to disagree but we still love each other and still care about each other and want to be part of each other's lives it's been more positive than negative, and the the probably the worst thing. An eighty year old woman called me on the phone one day, and we talked for about thirty minutes. She had always heard me singing, she had always heard me talk, and, but she never would tell me who she was. <laughs> and I said, "She's asking me all these questions," and we talked, and I was very very respectful and polite to her. But just such a weird thing that what people think atheism is. I mean, she said, "I knew a woman who was an atheist once." And she thought when she died, she's going to come back as a tree. Is that what you believe? And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we got off on that. But, and then the other thing was, um, 
a guy came to my work, a former member of my church, and brought me a book on hell. And he was just so worried about me, you know, losing my salvation and going to hell. And, but surprisingly, I got more more letters and more emails of encouragement uh, than I did people disagreeing. Um, you know, I was wondering about that. I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to get people who are worried about your soul and all of that. Uh, but yeah. there are a lot of people who would be in a very similar position, even if they're not clergy. They just go to church, but they don't, you know, necessarily. They're yeah. having doubts, but they can't find a way to express them or anybody to talk to about them. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was really surprised. Uh, you know, maybe half a dozen, ten people, some who I've known for years who knew me all the way back to high school, uh, to others I'd just known in the last few years, and they were like, you know, I believe the same thing you do. Uh, one actually used to be in the clergy, and he kind of eased out of it. Uh, but they're like, I just can't bring myself to tell the rest of my family and there's all kinds of reasons and so i tell people you know think it through think it through and if anything i would rather you err on the being cautious uh making sure it's the right time right place that you're not going to put yourself or your family in jeopardy um but just kind of make it a goal make it a long-term goal where eventually eventually i think you you have to be true to yourself like i say um and especially with those that are closest to you uh and they will respect you for that. And it's liberating, isn't it? Oh, yes, it, so much. Uh, yeah, one thing I did, I actually sang a song at the end of my talk at the convention that I'd written about that transition and what it felt like. And, and then since then, I've actually written two or three other songs, and I'm hoping to maybe record them. And, yeah, in all of it, the, the central theme to everything that I have felt is just freedom and, and liberty and, and just honesty, um, truthfulness. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy in every situation, but but that just being true to yourself. And uh, All right. Carter Warden has been my guest on Progressive Spirit. Thank you, Carter, uh, for uh, telling us uh, your story and for uh, staying true to your convictions. Thanks. My pleasure, John. You've been listening to Progressive Spirit. Find links to podcasts at ProgressiveSpirit.net. We'll close with the song that Carter Warden wrote and sang when he came out as an atheist. Life After You. From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, I'm John Schott. Be well. I was searching for the truth. I thought I knew it. I thought it was you. You were my best friend. I never thought this could come to an end.